Welcome to the first ever episode of the West Michigan Soccer Show, where we discuss all things soccer here in our West Michigan community and the world beyond. My name is John Kopko, and today I am joined by a big name in the West Michigan soccer community. He's the executive director at Midwest United FC, as well as the head women's soccer coach at Western Michigan University. It's Lewis Robinson. Lewis, thanks for helping us launch this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a, a pleasure to sit and talk some soccer, and it's uh, it's nice knowing that, that the bar for today is just to be better than the last guest on this podcast, which uh, makes it nice and simple for me. So it's it's great to be the first person here. And we, we know you're going to set the bar high. So <laughs> personally, as someone who grew up on the east side, um, playing in soccer, playing in the community, um, I'm excited to learn more about soccer here on the west side as we go along. I think that's going to be one of the cool things about the show. It is presented by Midwest United. The mission of the club is really to grow the game and the sport. So could you kind of speak to what this podcast will kind of do to further that in the community? Yeah, so I think, you know, with with our mission as, as a nonprofit here in town, and I think the maybe the biggest club with, with the biggest tradition, and, um, you know, we see ourselves as as having a social responsibility to, to our West Michigan community to, to always grow the game. So that comes from, you know, developing the best young players, um, providing opportunities like our USL teams, like MLS programs, ECNL programs for everyone, but also to to give back to our community. And hopefully, this this show can can help with uh, with your great expertise and bringing in some guests, some alumni, some coaches, some players. Um, I know we got some great connections with some pro players, um, and hopefully, bring something that that our players uh, current. And past and uh, families from all over West Michigan and, and soccer parents can can learn some things, can um, have some cool listening to to get a little bit better and and uh, yeah, hopefully enjoy the ride as uh, as we do. So the plan for today's episode is to start with really a quick history of Midwest United. It's one of the most prominent clubs in the state, definitely within the West Michigan soccer community. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to get to know Lewis a little bit more and and talk a little bit about his background as a as a coach here in the community and like I said I'm originally from Metro Detroit so I think my first experience with Midwest was as a player but it was back when the club had the crew juniors branding and that wasn't really even the first iteration of the club which I think dates back to 1990 if if I've got that correctly what can you tell us about the early days of the club and and where it really started yeah the early days was um Grasser and GVP, um, and a lot of great people that that were invested in in the foundation of West Michigan soccer, and way too many to name. Um, and before my time as well here um, in the states, so had two clubs that, that merged um, when I came here and moved to this area in '05. Um, there was a lot of great community clubs and, and different clubs, and when those two merged, and um, Josh Sheldon brought the clubs together and. And created the Grand Rapids Crew Juniors, um, which was kind of, I think, the the big step to really making the 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 biggest and and best club in in this side of the state and often the states um, in general. So, I think from from that point, um, the club's just grown and grown and improved and improved. Um, you know, gone through some different <clears throat> transitional phases and took on different programming and uh, like the soccer world has just continued to evolve. So yeah, from, from there became Grand Rapids Crew Juniors with an affiliation with the Columbus Crew, um, which went on for, for some years and then um, in 2015 became Midwest United. How did that relationship with Crew start? Was that something they reached out to 
this area or was it like a connection that was mutual? Yeah, it was the same. It was kind of before my time. Um, so I wasn't in all those conversations. I think it was just a kind of a mutual connection. It was the days where the MLS clubs were, I think, trying to have affiliations with um, local clubs for branding and to get more eyes in the MLS and have connections to the MLS. So yeah, that came. I think at the time it was really just a, a uniform and a logo to bring bring a couple of great clubs together, um, which worked perfectly if, if you look back at the landscape. And um, yeah, it's, it's funny how you go full circle and now we're back working with Columbus Crew um, and really improve and much improved deal for some of the things that kind of fell apart back in those days. And that's something we'll definitely touch on a little bit later in this episode as well as future episodes, our affiliation with Columbus Crew who just won MLS Cup, which was really cool to kind of be tied into that. That relationship with Crew originally started back in 2007, and then in 2015, the rebrand happened, the club became Midwest United. How did that sort of come about, and what was the inspiration for the brand? Yeah, so that was, you know, when um, we had some some great minds and uh, fantastic people in the club um, who who all kind of sat around. We, we realized that we, we felt like we'd kind of outgrown the Columbus Crew partnership at the time, and it was one of the old school affiliations where Columbus were kind of controlling a lot of what we were doing in branding, um, in uniforms. We, we were kind of restricted to doing some things that we wanted to do. Um, we felt that we weren't getting the benefit that that we needed to, and to be quite honest, we were we were spending a little, little bit too much money on it, which we felt that money could be invested um, into things that would directly impact our kids and the club a little bit more, and. It was just the time, you know, the club had become big enough. I think we were, we had a, a rich enough tradition that, that we could go on our own and, and come up with a new brand. And yeah, the new brand was, it was really just a, a group of people that all kind of threw ideas around and figured out what was important to us, what we currently are, what we were, what we wanted to be. And um, we're able to come up with a new brand that we felt really kind of symbolized who we are and, and what we wanted to be moving forward. And yeah, it's uh, it's been a great move since we made the switch. Well, what was the inspiration behind the blue and white color scheme? Because the, the previous colors, I think, was yellow, obviously yellow and black for Columbus yeah. Crew. Yeah, you know, well, it felt it had a little bit of touch on the tradition of the GVP and Grasser. Um, we're all kind of based around the blue and white. Um, you know, at the time, we had the, the semi-pro team in town, GRFC, where kind of in blue and white as well. So we felt it was maybe a little bit of symbolization of of the Rapids and, and Grand Rapids and who we are. So we we kind of settled on that one pretty quick. I'm I'm a big Man United fan, so I was pushing for red and white, but I um I got that shot down pretty quick. So we ended up in blue. That's Just what made I, sure it wasn't sky blue. That's what I was I was wondering. I noticed the the Midwest United acronym when you put it all together <laughs> is is MUFC, which Midwest United FC, Manchester United FC, is there any any slight affiliation there, Lewis? I like to think so, but I, I will tell you that everybody else that was like on the committee to to brand the club was adamant that MUFC would never be used in anything. So that's why, you know, you see, we don't use MUFC much in public because of uh, because of that small club over there in Manchester who, who trademarked that a little bit before we got there. But yeah, I know it was honestly nothing to do with it. It was, um, yeah, I think we liked United. We felt that was who we are and... Um, with us being a little bit bigger than Grand Rapids, we we felt Midwest was was the way to be. So that was the the brains behind the branding. 
And when when the club first started, and I think this is true with a lot of the big clubs here in and really in the United States in youth soccer, it started as Grassa. It was you know grassroots. It's more of a recreational experience. That's kind of how a lot of these clubs first start. What what has been like the big change? Do you think in in the trajectory of the club over time? If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I I think the change is is probably right in line with in my experience at least, and being here since two thousand five is is where the game of soccer has gone, right? I mean, if you go back and you look at, like, MLS pictures and videos from, from that era, like, the game has changed so much to facilities, to coaches, to branding, to ideas and the way the game is played. Like, everything has changed, right? So I think from from probably the 90s and early 2000s here where you'd look at a lot of the game as recreational, you know, as a coach in a, an area of space that we'd call a soccer field and, and playing in leagues that were changing every other week um to now the, the you know playing in the top national platforms um on the best facilities with with the best players the best coaches around i mean it, it the game's evolved so much and continues to so i think our club is is i think a perfect example of that 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 we've kind of been around all those years and um and continue to evolve and change as other clubs maybe haven't made it or have come in and gone out of business like we we i think have a great ability to to change with uh, with the game as, as things evolve. So, what sort of player does would you say that the club serves now? We have we have all different levels of leagues. Um, there's so many different leagues in in American youth soccer these days. What kind of space does Midwest United see itself in? Yeah, I think we we like to think and believe that that we're a place that can uh, provide a high level soccer experience for anyone that wants it. Um, all levels, all ages. You know, we have entry-level programs and future stars from three to seven-year-olds. Um, we have rec programs and local league GVSA programs, partner with the Michigan State Leagues. So we have teams that play in all those platforms. And then, of course, we have our ECNL and ECNL Regional League and MLS Next and National Academy League boys, um, real high-level academy programs as well with USL men's and women's senior teams uh, sitting at the top of our developmental pyramid. So kind of giving a home for soccer to everyone from age three to senior level. And, um, you know, that's what, that's what we, we, we try to do. Um, and I think like anything, that's always growing, always improving, but um, that that's really what we're about. There's, there's so many club youth clubs in Michigan with such rich history and, and great programming. I think Midwest probably has the most complete platform or, most complete pyramid if you look at really any youth club from future stars all the way up to USL and especially having both MLS Next and ECNL, which I think are really considered the premier boys and girls soccer leagues in the country. I don't think there's another club in Michigan that offers all of that. Yeah, I agree. And I think we're, we're very proud of that. And I think that, that of course, is we, we're awarded those positions in those leagues due to the hard work, success, um, and and work from people over the past 20 years and, and all the work that's gone in with our players and, and what we've done and the, the rich history that's been created. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, I think we anyone in the soccer world knows that the ECNL girls platform and MLS boys platform is, is the highest levels and the best of the best teams in there. So we're very lucky that we get to brush shoulders with the high top tier clubs in those areas, which you know, provides top level competition, which which is always a good thing, but but also allows us to kind of I think sit at tables with those clubs and share ideas with those clubs and network and share resources, which which is really important as well. And I think 
you know, that at the end of the day just provides the highest level experience for our players. You know, it makes our coaches get better. It, it allows them to see the the top levels of play and, and both sides. And um, yeah, provides that real high level platform. You know, that both of those leagues come with fantastic second tier platforms, which allows for our developmental teams or the players that maybe aren't quite at the ECNL or MLS level, a platform to be in a, a similar structure to see clubs that are in that same league and work their way up if that's what they want to do. Um, and then, you know, our USL platforms and, and the top of the pyramid, I know a lot of clubs have, you know, loose affiliations or, or senior teams that they call, but I mean, to be in USL2 and USLW, which are, are really the top amateur levels um, of senior soccer, uh, we, we love having those programs. And that's really important to us both to have a place that our players can come back and play when they, when they graduate out. Um, but also to provide that that senior team on our home field for our kids to go watch and support and see in action every day, I think is um, is something that we really believe is is uh, something that can separate us from everybody else and something that's a little bit different here at Midwest United. Our USL teams were almost a second iteration of Grand Rapids FC, which was in the community before. What's it been like having that senior platform as part of the club? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's a lot of work um, for sure. It's a, it's a lot harder than you think it is um, to put on those teams and recruit for those teams and and provide an experience for those players. Um, but but you know, it aligns with our mission and what we want to do, and and it aligns to to grow the game of soccer in West Michigan, um, and it aligns with our academy values of of creating the highest level soccer experience and platform for for West Michigan. Um, so we felt it was something that we had to do and we were responsible for. You know, we didn't want to see a, another USL team pop up here in town and, and last a couple of years and then drop out. You know, we, we know that we can support it with our facilities, with our alumni, with our coaches, with our fans. So um, that was kind of what we, we saw our responsibility to take on those two teams. And, and it's been great. I mean, they're growing. It's, it's fantastic to have them here uh, training all summer. We, we try to make it very accessible to players and fans to to come along and see and um yeah i think it's been a big success and i think like anything it continues to improve you know i think next year in 24 we'll see better programs than we saw in 23 and um we'll keep getting better every year as we always do and those teams really do bring some high level players to grand rapids whether it's kids that came through the academy or kids that are playing at you know top college programs around the country i know some of our alumni are are doing some big things in NWSL, for example, with Riley Tanner. Could you speak to that a little bit and what kind of that looks like? Yeah, well, well, I think we've, I mean, I don't have a list to name all, but I think, I know of the last couple of years, we've had Riley Tanner, Lauren Kozel, Maya Perez. I mean, all three players currently playing NWSL um, were here playing in, in our games, you know, every other week. So, I mean, to to see that for our young girls in the club to come out and watch, like, the best of the best and players that are now playing in, like, one of the top pro leagues in the world. I mean, Riley Tanner's played in the World Cup, um, was here, you know, training four days a week and and playing every weekend. So for our players to come and see how she does things at a close level, watch her score goals, um, and then see her go at the next level. And I know she's very connected too, and hopefully we'll have some of those guys um, connected with the show too so we can hear from them. But I think that's an amazing thing. It's something you, you sometimes don't realize how lucky you are um, until you take like five steps back and really see that. And the same on the men's side. I mean, we've got players here I mean who've gone in the MLS the last couple of years I think we had players playing here this summer um Dylan Singh and and a few others that like I think we'll see in the MLS pretty soon and to see them here training every day and walking on our fields watching the kids practice is a 
is a really cool thing that um that we 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 hope everybody takes advantage of and, and gets to kind of brush shoulders with those players as well. Yeah, and if if you haven't checked out any of our USL games, that's definitely something to look forward to this upcoming summer. We'll obviously share some information on our club socials and website. So that that's definitely something that we'll all be looking forward to. And an, another big, I think, part of the club that you've touched on a couple times is the facility. It's another it's another piece that I don't think you can really find elsewhere in Michigan. Field space is at a premium no matter where you go. And to have such a beautiful facility right across from the office, right within the Grand Rapids community, I think is is huge as well. Yeah, yeah, we're we're really proud of that. And as you mentioned, you don't realize too often until you go and and scout out the landscape that that we're so lucky to get to run and own our own fields. And in in doing that, we're able to really keep them a part of our mission and and stay aligned with what we want to do as a club. You know, we we pride ourselves on we're not a rental facility. Um, our fields and our facilities are there to support our club and support our players, which. Again, I think makes us very different than everybody else. You know, we we've got some great rental deals and, and contracts with Aquinas College, Davenport University, that I think are two of the the top athletic facilities in West Michigan as well. Um, but when you complement that with our own Midwest United complex, um, and um the office and classroom space that we have as well to support that, I think we're we're very lucky and um we're 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 happy that we're able to to lead the way in that area as well. That probably wraps up a good look at just Midwest United as a whole, like where it came from and, and kind of where it's going. We're going to take a short break. And on the other side, we're going to get to know today's co-host, Lewis Robinson, a little bit better. Do you own a business here in West Michigan? The West Michigan Soccer Show is looking for new sponsors. If you'd like to connect your business with the soccer community here in West Michigan, send our media team a message at media at midwestunitedfc.com. Again, that's media at midwestunitedfc.com. Welcome back to the West Michigan Soccer Show. I'm sitting down with Midwest United FC Executive Director and Western Michigan Women's Soccer Head Coach, Lewis Robinson. We've got a great opportunity to get to know a coach that's been really influential in growing the sport here on the west side of the state. Now, Lewis, where did you grow up and how did you first get involved with the sport? Yeah, I grew up in um, a place just outside of Durham. Uh, which is northeast England, like Newcastle to anyone that doesn't really know England, northeast side. Um, and yeah, just like most, been in the game all my life. Played um, as a kid, played in different clubs, bounced around some different clubs in England, uh, never quite made it at the high professional level, and then was lucky enough to to move over here and end up played a little bit over here at a small college in town and uh, got into coaching and end up staying here. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy journey like that. Was it college soccer that first brought you to the area then? Yeah, yeah. I came over, um, played at Davenport University back when they were in the NEIA and really no method to that madness either. Didn't really know much of my first time coming to the States was going there. So it was, um, nobody told me about the snow and, and all that stuff. They just sent me pictures of the beach and, and it looked beautiful. So we signed up and uh, and here we are, you know, 18 years later. What was that process like? How do you find yourself from England to playing soccer at Davenport here in Grand Rapids? 
Yeah, I mean, it was definitely unique, and, and I think it doesn't exist now um, because it was kind of like I was the last real generation before, like, the internet became really big. So at that time, like, you had internet access, but there wasn't, like, highlight videos and player profiles, and you couldn't just Google a name and get a playing career like you can now. So so I was kind of last of that maybe in-person scouting side of things. And, um, yeah, it, w- it was good. I mean, it was a process. You get an agent over there in England that kind of – ships you off and figures out some options and yeah I, I came over with a group of friends from England that, that were all we were all kind of buddies at the time and it, and it worked out great. What's the biggest difference do you think in in the youth soccer side of things growing up in England versus what you've seen in the U.S.? I know since you've been here the youth game here and the sport in general has just grown and changed dramatically but what would you say the biggest differences are going through the the English youth system versus the American youth system? So I think now, in 2023, I think the American youth system and the system that we're lucky to be a part of now with like academies and year-round soccer and 10-month platforms and opportunities for kids to play year-round, it's actually aligning to what the European and the English system is. Um, the, the only real difference, I think the main difference is, you know, for example, where I grew up in Newcastle, you had like six academies within 10 minutes, 10-minute drive to, to six different academies. Um, but that's just the the landscape of the country, you know, and, and what that looks like. I mean, as you know, here for us to find an academy, you got to drive three hours and, and you got to play against them. And that's why these leagues were, were having to meet in neutral locations and, and play 10 hours away to, to get real high level competition. So I think that's still the, the, the final piece that we've got to find better ways to to get over, um, to, to be in line, to be playing one or two competitive games a week, especially for the younger players. But um yeah, I think the the way the game is evolving, I think it's it's very much a lot closer to being in line with with the rest of the world and and what we do in in um, developmental methods for sure. You joined Midwest in two thousand nine. What's the biggest change in the club? Do you think you've seen since that time? Well, when I joined in two thousand nine, we were still I'd say we were still very much a part of that kind of team by team uh, soccer landscape. Everybody, not just Midwest United and Grand Rapids crew at the time, like. Everything was about the team that you play for. So, like, you play on that team, that team kind of earned their way in in a league system where you win, you play in the highest leagues, you lose some games, you play in the low-level leagues, which obviously isn't a great developmental um, pathway just because you're putting so much pressure on wins and losses at 11 and 12 years old. Um, I think slowly from that point on to where we are now, we've really moved away from that and we've gone into a a club-based platform system, right, which is what, the platforms that we use are in, which from Directors Academy to MLS to ECNL to NAL, like that, they're all based on like the best clubs playing together, which, which I think is awesome because it's still competitive and makes about wins and losses. But um, your whole youth career isn't just based on that. So our coaches and our staff can really focus on developing players the right ways for for long term, um, and we have a consistent pathway for every team. You know, when when I started here in '09, it was. Uh, just really depended on who the coach was and and what your schedule was and what that looked like you know which isn't always the best for the for the family and the, and the players that are signing up so did you did you join the club in a technical leadership role or was it just as a staff coach to begin with yeah just as a staff coach yeah my first uh, real job out of college and and came in um yeah met with Josh Sheldon and we made a deal and and came in and coached some teams I actually used to work for the Georgetown Rangers um club based in Hudsonville who are, who are still around so I, I was with them coaching some teams and in, in a director role and and kind of wanted the next step and and yeah Josh was um 
great to give me that opportunity and yeah came in and coached four teams whatever it was and uh loved working with some great people um had some amazing coaches around me above me um that I could work from and learn some great things and then yeah gradually became worked my way up and, and became age group director and director of coaching and uh yeah kind of kept growing. Was coaching always something that you saw yourself doing or was that something that you discovered as you got along in your playing career? Um, you know, I think probably like most coaches, it was never like a plan. I never grew up saying I want to be a coach. It was kind of something, honestly, I, I coached when I was playing a little bit. And then after finished playing, I kind of just thought it's really fun and just wanted to do it. And then it became a job after that, you know, and um, it, it's there was never really like a plan of, if I want to do this, I want to do that. Even when I was coaching and have been coaching full time, there's still not like a, I want to be here in two years time. Like with a lot of careers, it's kind of like I'm doing, you do something that you love doing every day. And honestly, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd probably still do the same thing and would still find ways to coach and, and work with players just because it's more of a hobby and something that you do because you love it. And, and yeah, like, like anything, I mean, I think I was really lucky and, and met the right people and had great coaches and great players around me that that allowed me to kind of keep enjoying it and not hate it which which some get the get a negative experience from but i uh, i always had a great time with it um great friends in the game and worked really hard at it and gradually kind of became more and more of a career for me so you you're also involved in the college side of the sport um you were at aquinas and and now you're the head women's coach at western michigan what has that kind of been like for you, that process, working up in the college game? So same thing. I'd say like, you know, and, and I know some have much more maybe mapped career paths, but I never really did. And so when, when the Aquinas opportunity came about, it wasn't like I was ever really like looking to be a college coach. I just enjoyed coaching and worked really hard at it and honestly committed my life to it. Um, I really committed to education early on, which was probably, a, and wasn't a plan. It was just something I did because I enjoyed it and did all the coaching licenses, was always looking for the next one. Um, and I think that maybe helped in the academic side. Um, but yeah, Aquinas opportunity came like most opportunities and, and um, came from nowhere and was kind of a jump and have a go at it. And 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 it was great. And same thing, learned a load there, had an amazing boss in, in Nick Davison in that world and, and a great mentor, someone in the college game to kind of make mistakes through and figure out what that looks like. And like anything else, was surrounded by really good people and we were able to to get some real good success there and um, build a build what I think was a really good program. And then same thing when this Western Michigan opportunity came around, it wasn't like we were. I was really like looking and searching. It just kind of the opportunity presented itself, and um, another one with some great people and kind of the next natural step. And uh, yeah, that's that's how it usually works out. And you guys were MAC champions this year. What was what was the season like for you? How did you guys get to that that success point? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, what a, what a run! I mean, never thought it would it would happen that that quick. I mean, we you know that the program has kind of stepped a little bit slow after COVID, like like a lot did. A lot of mid major division one programs. So you know, taking that step from Aquinas to Western, the the level is certainly a lot higher, a lot faster. Um, a lot of great players on our team. A lot of great players you play against every week. Um, so, you know, we knew that we kind of could have some success there and here and, um, but didn't think it would happen so quick. And then like always in soccer, you kind of get on a good run and things start going well. And we started winning some games and managed to keep winning games. And then, yeah, managed to, uh, get over the line and win the championship first one in, uh, I think 30 years of, of history for the program. So yeah, it was a, it was a big achievement and 
something we're really proud of and, and the girls worked really hard for. So it was a, it was a fun ride. Successful years for the men's program too. I think they were a top, finished a top 25 program as well for the, for the men at Western Michigan. What, what do you think is driving that, that success on both sides of the program? Yeah, it's, it's insane, but I think, I mean, I think Western Michigan men's program is something that anyone that's listening is, is a soccer fan, like needs to go and connect right away. Cause to have a team that's like so consistently in the top 20, um, you know, you get teams that go on a run and, and like win something here and then have an off year the next year. I mean, that, that men's Bronco program has has continually done this, and and Coach Chad Wiseman and and his staff they they've built such a a legacy program with such a history of like competing at the top Division One level. I mean, the very top level in the country year after year, and turning out pros um, is amazing. That it's you know thirty five minutes down the road from us, and uh, we get to see that. So certainly for me, selfishly, it's been awesome because you know I get along with those guys really well, and we um, we share a hallway in our office, and like you know we we touch base almost every day we share ideas same thing we we figure out what we can copy what we can steal from from that program and and try to copy some things and and they they're, they're great people to work with so yeah it's been a lot of fun and, and opened up some um some different ideas for me and seeing something completely different and um yeah i mean it's no coincidence that program has the success they have they they do some amazing things in there for sure and college soccer is really a popular path for for midwest players a lot of them are looking to to reach that level after they're done here. So it's, I think it's awesome to have two men's and women's programs just right down the road that they can look at and see and see some players from our club that are alumni having success at those programs too. Big time, yeah. And and that was part when I kind of accepted the job here at Western Michigan. It's like, it, I would only ever do that if it, if it worked hand in hand with, with what we want to do here at Midwest United. And I think having the connection to being West Michigan's biggest club um, and best club, having West Michigan's best and biggest university uh, in the background and working together in a partnership makes a lot of sense, you know, and I think just having our players open up doors to watch those games, see those games, um, you know, for ideas for me that a lot of, like you say, I think a, a big part of what we do is our players going on to play at the college level. So me being on the inside of that game, being able to see what it's really like at the Division One level and, and open up some different connections um, is something that, that I think we all benefit from and, um that that's always part of uh, part of that career choice for sure. And we'll we'll talk a lot of college soccer because like like we've said, it's such a big part of of what we do. For any youth players that are that are listening to this show, as a college coach, what advice would you have? Maybe just something in general for kids that want to pursue that pathway one day. Yeah, but so my advice, and it's kind of changed over the years here, but like I think the the most important thing is is every player has their own individual pathway. You know, that's that's so true in men's soccer and women's soccer. Like, there's not what you read, and I think these days with a in a social media world that you can Google college soccer advice and you can pay thousands of dollars and get advice from some guy behind a a Twitter or a Instagram handle that'll give you what, what it's supposed to look like. Like, everyone's journey is completely unique, you know, and I use examples like in the women's game, like, We've signed some sophomore recruits at the beginning of like their junior year. We, we've recruited them sophomore year. We've signed them at the beginning of the junior year, two years before they step foot on campus. Like we also just signed a, actually a Midwest United player, Laney Peterson, like weeks ago. And it's halfway through a senior year, right? That that the textbook would tell you that she's way too late to be recruited to play Division One, you know? And, and she's a player who had a bunch of Division One offers at the end of a, a the end of a Midwest experience, really, a senior year. So 
I think that's just the girls' game. I mean, the men's game works in completely different schedules. Um, so I think everyone has their own unique experience. I think ultimately the things that rise to the top are how hard somebody works and how committed they are. You know, that that's really what drives all of these players that I see go on to play Division One and, and high-level college soccer. Um, and I think you got to play at the highest levels. You know, I think there's there's no sugar cone in. I know some people might tell you tell you differently. I think at the end of the day, if you want to play at the highest college level, you have to go play at the highest youth level. There's no coincidence that most players come from the MLS and the ECNL pathway. I think it's easier for college coaches to recruit from those areas because that's where all the best players are. So, and it's not to say you can't play in college if you play at a lower level, smaller level, but the numbers don't lie. And I think there's, it's very simple that, that you want to be the best. You've got to hunt out the best environment. You've got to find the most challenging environment, the most uncomfortable environment to be in. Um, because that's what creates great people, great players, and, and that's what most of us are all looking for as college coaches as well. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in, in Midwest being able to provide those top platforms. I think I saw a stat um, the other day that like something like 75% of women's Division One commitments for college soccer came through an ECNL club, um, which is a pretty crazy stat when you think about all the different leagues that we have. So Again, I think it speaks back to us being able to provide that that platform and allow our players to get the opportunity to reach that level too. Yeah, definitely. And and like I said, it's it's definitely a disclaimer. And I know, obviously, I'm biased here at Midwest United as well. But I think like you look at any of the numbers, and they're not coincidences, right? And I, like, it's not to say you can't play at one of the local rec clubs in town and and make it to college. You can't, of course, you can. But there might be one in five thousand that do that, you know. And I think if you play in the ECNL level, the MLS level, you look at the numbers in those programs, it's like you say, I think if 75% of the nation's Division One recruits from that league right now, like it, it's the same across the board in those platforms, you know, like like 90%. I think of our girls' academy program, I know the last five years, I think 90% have had opportunities to play at Division One. You know, some have turned them down to go other ways, but I think that that's kind of the way those platforms were. And it's not just because of the sticker in the league that, that makes a difference. But it's really because the best players are playing there. And every week they're playing against the best players from the biggest cities in the country. So I think that's what really creates, um, you know, high-level players at a much faster pace than anything else. Yeah, and I think it, it is always important to add it's not always Division One or bust either. Like every player has could find something that fits perfectly for them at, at a different level. And you were previously at an NAIA school at Aquinas, and that program's had a ton of success. And we've had a lot of Midwest alums have a ton of success there too. So... I think that's always important to add as well that everybody can find like a fit at a different level. It doesn't have to just be a D1 school. Yeah, well, I think I think there's a fit for everyone that plays at a decent level of soccer. You know, that's the great thing about this country, right? We have so many amazing colleges and so many schools around the area. Like you say, you've got, yes, Division One is shinier sometimes and, and is certainly at the top level is, is a high level. You know, if you're in a championship Division One program, the the resources are fantastic. The level is is amazing. Um, but there's also, I mean, there's some Division Two teams that will beat the bottom end of Division One. You know, there's some Division One teams that 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 aren't the highest level. You know, just like there's some NAIA teams that will beat some Division Two teams and some Division One teams as well, maybe. So I think on playing level, um, there's there's different, but there's also the academic piece and the financial piece, and they create very different experiences as well. And I think those are all things that the players have to think about and, and, and there's no wrong or right. You know, everybody, like I say, everybody's pathway is completely unique and depending on what your priorities are in life is finding the right ways to go. 
And you spoke about your coaching pathway being unique. So from Davenport as a player to to Rangers and then Midwest as a youth coach, Aquinas to Western as a college coach, what would you say is next on your, your bucket list as a coach? Do you have anything in mind that you see in the future for yourself? No, that's a great question. Um, honestly, no. I, I Like I say, John, it's, it's weird. I'm, I'm, I'm one, and I don't know if any people work like that, but I, I've never really had a, a pathway to what's next. You know, I, I'm try, I tried especially recently to really focus on on the present and where we are and do the best you can do with what you have. I mean, I'm very lucky. I have I have um, fantastic roles here in town and, you know, my Midwest United role is amazing, work with amazing people every day, great staff, um, great players. You know, I love being here and, and my college job is is amazing. It's the same thing. I, I've got great players surrounding me. I have a great opportunity every day. And, you know, again, I'm not one that, that ever really looks for like do well, here for a few weeks and then we'll move there like it, it doesn't work like that I think I'm set to really trying to really focus on on where we are what opportunity I have here and um and and hopefully get better at every day I think that's that's the way this uh this game works and usually when you work that way you I've found you have a lot more success that way and um and you enjoy it too I think sometimes if we spend so much time planning on what's next and what the future is I think you you forget about enjoying where you're sitting today and uh, forget about how lucky you are and, and the great opportunities you have. You know, I think too many people do that. And again, I've never been one. So hopefully uh, continue to win some championships and here in the club and, and at Western as well. Speaking of championships, I know Midwest's badge has three stars. Am I wrong to say that you had a coaching part in all three of those? Yeah, that, that is correct. And and I also fought, John, when we talked about Brandon earlier, I fought to have one star because... I feel like three isn't enough, that we've won much more than that in the past, and we will win more of it in the future as well. So, But yeah, we've we've been lucky enough to win um, win a few national championships, and uh, yeah, I was I was an assistant coach on the first one back in the, in the old black and white days in Phoenix, Arizona with Remco and his dream team, um, and then was able to win a, win a couple with, uh, with the 01 girls team and, and as a head coach as well, and also lost a couple. Those two don't show up as highly on a resume, but also uh, also lost a couple in in finals, which uh, which um, were, were equally. They were a lot of fun looking back on them now. But uh, yeah, we made it to two finals too, which which stung. And I guess I misspoke. There are actually four stars on the badge because we have the three national title stars, and then if you're if any listeners are looking at their Midwest United gear, you have another star for where we're located uh, over in Grand Rapids on the west side of that mitten. Yeah, and then back to that Brandon thing, I was always adamant that I thought the one star was big enough because I think it symbolizes all the championships, all the championships we've won, all the championships we will win, but, you know, you don't win all of those battles, and I lost that one. So. And do you see any, uh, are there any aspirations for a Western Michigan National Championship in the future? <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I don't know, it's a bit of a different world in that Division One women's world. We've got some... Uh, some real juggernauts at the top level, and the way college soccer, college athletics in general, is is looking right now, it's um, it's quite a feat. But but hey, we'll keep trying. That's always the goal, right? Is to to finish without losing. So we'll we'll keep plugging away. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can win some conference conference championships and uh, and make it to the big tournament. That's definitely the the short term goal. But I have one last question for you. It might be the most important one we've discussed so far. How does a guy who grew up near Newcastle become a supporter of Manchester United? Yeah, that that is a a tricky one, but I answer it like every other day. It seems um, so. I my my way out of it is when I grew up, like in the nineties, Newcastle were really good. So it was the day when all my friends that were Newcastle fans back in the Kevin Keegan, Alan Shearer days, and it was Newcastle Man United always battling. So 
it wasn't like I just chose the best team. Um, my family were Manchester rooted um, and Manchester United fans as well. So I, I had that to lean back on. I just grew up in a Manchester United family, luckily, for a few years. And obviously I'm I'm paying for it now. You know, I had I had an enjoying, enjoyable first few years as a United fan in the golden days. And now I've got to dread the weekend coming every weekend to see how they hurt my feelings and, and break my heart every week. So I'm, I'm making my way through that. But hopefully we'll be back at some point in the next in my lifetime at least. So that means you're back to your roots then, right? If you if Manchester United wasn't as great when you first started following them. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they they were all right. They, we were always okay. We were at least competing. But then I kind of jumped on as a supporter and then we had all the success for 10 or 15 years with Fergie, more 20 years. And um yeah, now we're living a life of disappointment, but but we'll get that. I'll stay I'll stay loyal and um I've got hope at some point. It's always interesting to kind of see some of like our youth players when you ask them about their favorite teams because you can definitely see like the generational divide and like maybe 10 years ago a lot of our players would have been Manchester United fans like top of the league or whatever. Now there's a lot of Man City fans. Way too many Man City fans. Yeah, way too many Man City fans. We're hoping we're hoping Pep's going to go on his retirement circle here soon and maybe some of those Man City fans won't will uh will change their colors. And I know we have a couple of coaches on staff that like City. I think Ben Robbins is one of them. We got to ask when he started supporting them. Was that free, Pep? Big City fan, Ben. Yeah. No, there's too many of them. There's too many of them. They won't be around forever, though. They won't be around forever. Fingers but crossed. I think that is another another part of what's cool about the growth of the sport is there's just so much more access to being able to watch teams from all different leagues. Then you have the growth of MLS as well. I know we, we talked a little bit about it in the first half of the show with our relationship with Columbus Crew, but really the growth of MLS has been really cool to see as well and just that league providing more opportunities both through MLS Next and then as well as just the the growth of the professional league with Messi coming and then there's growth with the women's side as well. NWSL is looking really strong. So I think it is it is a great time to be a soccer fan here in the States. Yeah, well, it's so much more accessible now too, right? Yes. Like, And I remember, not not to you know go back in the old days, but same when I first moved here, you had one channel, right? You had the, was the Fox Soccer Channel and you kind of, got to see whichever game they decided to put on, and it could be anything. And lucky I mean, for you, it was mostly Manchester It was always Manchester United in those days. Yeah, it was for a few years. But, I mean, you look now, and, and you're right. I mean, the the way the MLS has, has blown up, and every game's accessible now, and so many second-tier pro leagues come in um, and, and join in and have started the last couple of years. I mean, the women's game is accessible always. I mean, and one of the other cool parts, John, is, is the college game. I mean, if you go on, I think everybody I know has a, ESPN Plus account, like you can log on to ESPN Plus like any Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the fall and you get to watch any level of college soccer, which that in itself is is an amazing opportunity for kids and, and for future players to just catch games, pick a favorite game and follow your team around for sure. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. We've talked about a lot today, a little bit about Midwest, a little bit about Coach Lewis, and then a little bit about just the growth of the game in general. We're really excited about where this show is going to go. We're going to um, have a lot of exciting guests in the future. We're going to get better at doing these as well, I think, as we go along. But um, if you enjoy the show, please give it a like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Again, it's John Kopko with Lewis Robinson. This has been the West Michigan Soccer Show. Thank you.